Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. So the NRA and the John Birch Society and all these guys, you know, I remember when I was like 12, my dad took me to a John Birch Society. He was a Republican. He was very active with the Republicans. He thought they were nuts. I'm not sure he'd been to one of these meetings before. It was hosted by a, a neighbor of ours, a guy who lived down the street. They gave me a copy of John Stormer's book, None Dare Call It Treason. I took it home. I read it. I was freaked out. The State Department was infiltrated with communists. Oh, my God. But back then, the right-wingers at least were saying what we're concerned about is that someday the police powers of this country may be used against its own citizens. Now, of course, they thought they were going to be used against them which is, you know, at that time, at least where I was, suburban white men, by and large, at that John Birch Society meeting. The NRA have been saying the same thing. They've sold millions and millions of guns. Look out, the government is going to come for you. Government thugs are going to come for you. Government jackbooted thugs, in fact, are going to come for you. I mean, this, but, but where are they? Oh, if, if the government's going after liberals, then uh, that's fine. You guys on the right who are concerned about police power. I mean, police power is pretty awesome power. Only the police, only the government basically has the power to take away your freedom to put you in prison or to take away your life to execute you legally. If I try to confine you, that's called kidnapping. If I try to kill you or if I do kill you, that's called murder. But when the government does it, under color of law, it is considered, you know, legal jailing and lawful execution. And we should be concerned about that. So how has this played out in the past? Well, you know, I've shared this with you before, but it it seems at least once a year we need to revisit Milton Mayer. In the uh, late 1940s, early 1950s, somewhere in that time period, I'm not sure of the year, Milton Mayer, who was a reporter for, as I recall, the Chicago Sun, one of the big Chicago newspapers, went to Germany after World War II as the country was rebuilding and spent a year there and met with and got to know and hung out with and extensively interviewed 10 Germans who had not been in the army, they had not fought in the war, they had not joined the Nazi party, they had all managed to just basically keep their jobs and keep working through the war. And his question to each one of them was, what the hell happened here? He published this book, it's called They Thought They Were Free, it's still in print. Milton Mayer's long gone, he's passed away years ago. But what these Germans told him is worth revisiting. He was talking with a bricklayer. This guy said, this separation of government from the people, this widening of the gap, took place so gradually and so insensibly, each step disguised, perhaps not even intentionally, as a temporary emergency measure or associated with true patriotic allegiance or with real social purposes. And all these crises and reforms, and there were real reforms too, so occupied the people that they did not see the slow motion underneath. 
of the whole process of government growing remoter and remoter. To live in this process is absolutely not to be able to notice it. Please try to believe me, unless one has a much greater degree of political awareness, acuity, than most of us ever had the occasion to develop. And by the way, go back and look at some of the things that I was writing when George W. Bush was pushing the Patriot Act and all of these massive, this massive concentration of police power and the Department of Homeland Security, homeland being a word that, that has genetic roots. It's a word that was used by the Nazis. We are the homeland to the German people, which are the white people. And then George W. Bush pulls this word homeland out, which has never been used to describe America. We are not a genetic homeland. Unless you're Native American, you shouldn't be using the word homeland. But anyhow, back to Milton Mayer's book, the fellow we interviewed. He said, each step was so small, so inconsequential, so well explained, or on occasion regretted, that unless you were detached from the whole process from the beginning, unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle, what all these little measures that no patriotic German could resent must someday lead to, one no more saw it developing day to day than a farmer in his field sees the corn growing. And one day it's over his head. He talked to a college professor who continued to teach college all through everything. Pastor Niemöller spoke for the thousands and thousands of men like me when he spoke too modestly of himself and said that when the Nazis attacked the communists, he was a little uneasy, but after all, he was not a communist, so he didn't do anything. Then they attacked the socialists, he was a little more uneasy, but he, he wasn't a socialist, and so he didn't do anything. And then the schools, the press, the Jews, and so on, and he was always uneasier, but still he did nothing. And then they attacked the church, and he was a church man, and he tried to do something, but then it was too late. Niemöller, by the way, his... his great poem, I believe was found in a concentration camp. I may be wrong on that, but anyhow. You see, the college professor says, one doesn't see exactly where or how to move. Believe me, this is true. Each act, each occasion is worse than the last, but only a little worse. You wait for the next and the next. You wait for the one great shocking occasion, thinking that others, when such a shock comes, will join you in resisting somehow. You don't want to act or even talk alone. You don't want to go out of your way to make trouble. Why not? Well, you're not in the habit of doing it. And it's not just fear, fear of standing alone that restrains you. It is also genuine uncertainty. Uncertainty is a very important factor. And instead of decreasing as time goes on, it grows. Outside in the streets, in the general community, everyone seems happy. One hears no protests, certainly sees none. You know, in France or Italy, there's slogans against the government painted on walls and fences. But in Germany, outside the great cities, maybe, uh, you, you don't even have this. In the university community, in your own community, you speak privately to your colleagues, some of whom feel as you do, certainly. But what do they say? Oh, it's not so bad. You're seeing things. You're an alarmist. And you are an alarmist. You're saying that this must lead to that, but you can't prove it. These are the beginnings, yes, but how do you know for sure when you don't know the end? How do you know or even surmise how this will end? On the one hand, your enemies, the law, the regime, the party, they intimidate you. On the other hand, your colleagues poo-poo you as pessimistic or even neurotic. But that one great shocking occasion where tens uh, or hundreds of thousands will join you never comes. That's the difficulty. If the last and worst act of the whole regime had come immediately after the first and smallest, thousands, millions would have been sufficiently shocked if the gassing of the Jews in 43 had come immediately after the German firm stickers in store windows, in the windows of non-Jewish shops in 1933. But of course, this isn't the way it happens. In between come all the hundreds of tiny steps, some of them imperceptible, each of them preparing you not to be shocked by the next. Step C isn't so much worse than step B. And if you didn't take a stand at B, why should you at step C? And then on to step D. And then one day, too late, your principles, if you were ever sensible of them, all rush in upon you. The burden of self-deception has grown too heavy. And some minor incident, in my case, it was my little boy, hardly more than a baby, saying, Jew, swine, collapses it all at once. And you see that everything, everything has changed and changed completely under your nose. The world you live in, your nation, your people is not the world you were in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, reassuring the houses, the shops, the cinema. But the spirit has changed. 
Now you live in a world of hate and fear, and the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. This is the Tom Hartman Program. He ends saying, when everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. And now you live in a system which rules without responsibility even to God. Tom Hartman here with you. Wanted to uh, dig into uh, some of the uh, some of the things that are going on with regard to COVID right now in Los Angeles. Fifteen kids are sick with this Miss C M I S C dash C. This is the inflammatory syndrome that's associated with COVID. There are twenty two hundred and sixteen people in the hospital. This is as of uh, July twentieth, AFP. But the last dates that they have are the fifteenth. And at that point, 26% were in ICUs, 19% are on ventilators. Of course, when they put you on a ventilator, they render you unconscious, they put you in a coma, and then they stick a tube down your throat into your lungs to breathe for you. One in five people that goes into the hospital right now in Los Angeles has been intubated. This from Barbara Ferrar, the county's health, public health director, Los Angeles County. Right now, young adults are being hospitalized at a rate not seen before. No matter how young you are, you are vulnerable to this virus. More than half of the cases reported on Sunday, this was last Sunday, concerned people less than 41 years old. And then 15 of these children now are sick with Miss C, which is a condition where different body parts can become inflamed, including the heart, lungs, kidneys, brain, skin, eyes, or gastrointestinal organs. So far, there have been six deaths related to the syndrome nationwide, according to health officials. So at the same time, Congress is trying to pass money for expanded testing so fewer children will get sick. And local communities and teachers unions, the teachers union down in Florida has just sued, said we don't want to go back to work under these conditions. Trump and Trump Republicans are pushing hard to get kids back into schools and encouraging people not to wear face masks. And I think this is part of the maximum chaos strategy. This is Donald Trump creating his Reichstag fire. This is what kicked off Adolf Hitler, was when Marius van der Lubbe, this 20-year-old Dutch communist, most biographies indicate was either profoundly mentally retarded or mentally ill, was smuggled through the underground connection into the Reichstag, into the parliament building, was smuggled from one of the congressional offices of one of the Nazi party members into the Reichstag building. And in that building, they had this long hallway, which was filled with these old tapestries dating back to the 1500s. And he just went through and lit them on fire and and the building went up. And Adolf Hitler runs over to, they set up a microphone in front of the building and and Hitler is standing and he was, and he wanted to become chancellor. He was having lunch with von Poppen when this happened. And he went over and he got on that microphone and said to a nationwide audience, this is a sign from God. And we need to bring law and order to Germany. Juan Cole, professor of history at the University of Michigan, writes, Trump's re-election strategy is to scare the white suburbs, which polls show are souring on him. And it now appears clear that part of that strategy is to send federal agents dressed like Iraq war troops. I mean, why are these guys wearing camouflage? That's desert camo, right? There's desert camo, there's jungle camo. I mean, you've got different kinds of camouflage depending on the environment you're in. Portland, Oregon is not a desert. Back to Juan Cole. It appears the part of Trump's re-election strategy is to send federal agents dressed like Iraq war troops to Democratic-run cities on the pretext of protecting federal property and then to attack and provoke Black Lives Matter and defund the police protesters, causing violence to escalate and using it to scare the suburbs. He says the exercise has the advantage for Trump of entrenching a new form of secret police and of turning federal agents into instruments of his authoritarianism. Meanwhile, a law firm in Wisconsin has an offer for teachers in Wisconsin. We will write your wills for free if you're going to go back and teach. Right? We blew it on testing. Trump turned testing. He gave millions and millions of dollars in grants to Quest and there's one other company. The name of it is escaping me at the moment, but I've got a story about Quest here in front of me. 
there were two testing companies he gave millions of dollars to, and they came up with the coronavirus test. Well, these are still largely centralized, and these tests are largely being done by these for-profit companies. And now Quest Diagnostics is saying seven or more days for testing. No money earmarked for our schools. We've got a massive surge of hospitalization. 24% of hospital beds in Arizona are coronavirus cases now. In Texas, it's one in five. And here in Oregon, this from Amy Green in the Oregonian, our local newspaper owned by a New York company. It's taken up to 14 days for Oregonians to learn if they've contracted the novel coronavirus, according to the Oregon Health Authority. By then, they might have already infected untold others. It's rendering contact tracing ineffective. Dr. Jennifer Vines, the health officer for Multnomah County, that's Portland, said, this, of course, makes our ability to keep up with the virus very difficult. Yeah, you think? And it's because demand for testing is soaring in the red states, in Florida, in Arizona, in Texas, and in California as well, where they've got crisis. And we're having to use these national testing agencies because this is what the federal government set up for us. This is an absolute screaming mess. And now Trump wants to bring federalized police dressed like Iraq war soldiers into cities where he is going to try to provoke clashes with Black Lives Matter and defund the police folks explicitly, specifically. I just got an email from Trump. Portland has been out of control and anarchists have been running the city and, you know, quack, quack, quack. We had to step in because violence is up and murders are up. Well, yeah, violence is up and murders are up. By the way, they're not higher than they were 10 years ago, but they're up from last year. They were actually four months ago radically down. At any point in history in the United States, and you could probably see the same thing in any country around the world, but I'm familiar with our history on this count, that when unemployment goes up significantly, crime goes up. People have to feed themselves. We don't have a good social safety net in this country. A lot of people don't have access to decent housing. They don't have access to food. They don't have access to the core stuff that gives you some sense of dignity in life. And on top of that, you've got people who have been locked down with this coronavirus for months now. You know, many people since March. And they're starting to snap at their spouses and they're starting to get angry with their neighbors and they're starting to get pissed off with the world. And that's entirely understandable. And incidents that might have been a shout are now a fight and incidents that might have been a fight are now a shooting and incidents that might have been a shooting are now a murder. Surprise, surprise. But the answer to all of that is not to send in the Gestapo. Stormtroopers don't solve problems. They're creating problems. This is just a naked attempt. I mean, it's not the protesters. Trump, the, the email I got today from the White House was explicitly blaming protesters for violence in our cities. And Trump now saying he's going to solve that violence. And protesters, of course, is code in Trump speak to white suburban voters, code for those black people protesting the murder of that black man, George Floyd. That's what they're talking about. And the simple fact of the matter is that the protesters and the protests have nothing to do with the rise in violent crime. Mark Sumner writing over the Daily Coast today. Parts of the intelligence community meant to deal with terrorism have been turned inward, not against the proven violent threat posed by white nationalist organizations, but against protesters involved in a reaction to the police murder of George Floyd and the push to remove Confederate monuments. Trump created a new police force specifically to protect monuments. That may well be who's here in Portland. And so now, because they are a standalone police force within DHS, and they have the mission to protect monuments. They are spying on anybody who might not like monuments, which means all the, basically all the Black Lives Matter groups and anybody who's protesting pretty much anything. Turning this country into a police state is not going to make things better. And by the way, this is the Republican Trump administration. There's, there's so much focus on Donald Trump himself. This is not just Donald Trump. 
You've got an entire administration that has gone fully fascist now. And you've got an entire Republican Party supportive of it, or at least not resisting it. John Kasich has come out and said enough. But, you know, he's a washed up Republican politician who hates unions. I don't think that the Democrats are going to embrace him, even if he does speak at the DNC. The whole thing is a mess. And the authoritarian part of the Republican Party is showing up right here in Portland. Portland is a test, but it's only a test. Trump signaled this election strategy a few days ago when he talked about ending legislation that was passed back in the 60s to support fair housing. When he said that uh, that legislation, which he is suspending, had, quote, sent people, end quote, into, quote, the suburbs, end quote. You know, essentially what he's saying is white people in the suburbs. I'm doing what I can to keep your neighborhoods white. You have to be very afraid of these black and Hispanic people. The Democrats should be, say should be able to live anywhere in the country. How dare they? That's essentially the message that Donald Trump and Roger Stone and the Republican Party are sending you. I mean, Portland is an overwhelmingly white city. So, you know, he figured he could test out his secret police, his stormtrooper strategy here without anybody much noticing, you know, because it wouldn't be so racialized. But now he's taking it to Chicago, a city with a far more diverse population. And if he's successful, he'll provoke a made-for-television appearance with white stormtroopers battling black residents. And that's exactly what Donald Trump is hoping for. The most recent polls show that white people, particularly suburban white people, who are half of all voters not exclusively white, but half of all voters in 2016, in in the last presidential election, were suburban. Half. Very large portion, disproportionately large portion of those suburban voters. You know, I think it's 73% of American voters are white. Whites in the suburbs, much higher than that. And they support Trump. White people still, according to the most recent polls, white people still, majority of white people support Trump, particularly white men. And he's trying to get him cranked up enough that every single last one is going to show up to vote for him. This is a base mobilization strategy. It, it, uh, it looks to me like Richard Nixon's Southern strategy in 1968, where the police rioted, provoked a riot at the Democratic National Convention, and, you know, it just got going. Well, of course, you had a, you know, a bunch of terrible things happening in 68, peak of that being the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which led to cities burning. And that's what got Nixon elected. At least that's what Roger Stone thought got Nixon elected. And I think, you know, Roger Stone is still advising Donald Trump. He's known him for all these years. The strategy is really simple. Provoke violence, make cities burn, and then promise to keep white people safe with law and order. This should not be a secret. But Trump has cranked this way of the Trump administration now, you know, the Chad Wolf, the director, the acting director of Department of Homeland Security and Bill Barr in the Department of Justice, the attorney general. This is what authoritarians do to seize political power. They tear us apart. And now in anticipation of this election in just a few months, Trump is trying to destroy our ability to vote by mail. He knows that the polling shows, although this may be changing now, now that coronavirus is popping up in red states. But as of a month ago, the polling showed the Democrats were far less likely, far less willing to show up in person at a polling place to vote than were Republicans. Republicans didn't think coronavirus was that big a deal. Democrats knew it was. So he's trying to make it harder to vote by mail because that would be mostly Democrats as of a month or so ago. He's trying to explode the pandemic by forcing our kids back into school so they can come home and infect mom and dad. He's fighting funding for testing because I think he's pursuing a maximum chaos strategy. If he can have the maximum level of screaming chaos in November, and by the way, with all the mail-in votes, it's going to be several days after the election before we know who won. And during that time, Donald Trump is going to be claiming that he won. That was the strategy that the Bush campaign used in 2000 when Bush's cousin on Fox News announced that Bush had won the election. When in fact, you know, that was not the case. Al Gore actually got more votes in Florida. And if the Supreme Court hadn't intervened, Al Gore would be president right now. And then on top of that, Trump is sending his secret police, his stormtroopers into our cities. They're coming to a city near you. 
and history shows that the most effective response is nonviolent. Here in Portland, we had 300 moms, a middle-aged Navy veteran, and a stripper. Right? John Lewis taught us about nonviolence. Martin Luther King taught us about nonviolence. Jesus taught us about nonviolence. Get ready. Coming to a town near you. Tom in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Hey, Tom, what's up? Yeah, well, first, I want to say that someone needs to leak the unredacted Mueller report right away. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah, I'm with you. Okay. The main point is those guys who showed up on the streets of Portland, okay, they showed up in D.C. first, correct? We think so, yes. Yeah. So now they're in Portland, and he's threatening to send them to Chicago and places like that. Do you think maybe these might be the guys who protect Trump if he refuses to leave the White House? Yes, absolutely. That's why, you know, when I was mentioning the SS and the SA, it was not just a random reference. The SA was originally the volunteers who who policed the beer halls when Hitler would give speeches in the 20s. And they started all wearing brown shirts as kind of a uniform, the way that these guys are wearing Hawaiian shirts now. And then Hitler brought them in and gave them training and gave them authority. Hitler's personal guard was the SS. And the SS then became the Death's Head Squad, the Totenkopf Squad, and they just terrorized all of Germany. That was the federal police. And yeah, I think that this is all one thing, Tom. I think that these guys, not literally all one thing like one agency, but what you're seeing is Trump creating a force around himself that he may well call on if he loses the election and says, oh, there was voter fraud, I actually didn't lose. And then there's gonna be a big test of loyalty inside the federal government. Tom, thank you for the call. Yeah, we need to be calling this what it is. This is the beginning of a coup. This is the overturning of the norms of America. This is the destruction of a democratic republic right in front of our eyes. On the line with us is Ken Klippenstein. He's the uh, DC correspondent for The Nation magazine, thenation.com. Twitter handle Ken at Ken Klippenstein, K-L-I-P-P-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. And uh, Ken has a piece out for the nation titled Border Patrol Responsible for Portland Arrest. Ken, who are these people who are showing up here in Portland? Well, this is a variety of federal agents. Some of them are what's called BORTAC. It stands for Border Patrol's Tactical Unit. This is their equivalent of the SWAT teams. It's sort of like a uh, kind of like special forces for Border Patrol. So those are some of the folks that have been conducting the arrests. And then also there are federal agents with the U.S. Marshal Service. So needless to say, this is a very high sort of sophisticated level of federal law enforcement to be bringing against the mayor of Portland and, and many others in the state are saying something that can be handled by local law enforcement. Have they actually arrested anybody? I know that they've kidnapped a few people, but they let them go, you know, after intimidating them. If there was an arrest, we would have a record and you would presumably have the name of an arresting officer and the agency and all that kind of stuff. I have not seen any of that reported and I live here. That's what's so strange about it. Um, the reporting suggests that um, they brought people in, and uh, but not actually booked them. And so there were no records. In one case, an individual told reporters they asked if he would answer some questions and he invoked his you know, right to an attorney. And then at that point, they just said, all right, you can go. And then he left. And there was no there was no sort of documentation to indicate, first of all, that he was there or why he was there. Which raises an interesting question. If they were here, let's say that there actually was a crisis in Portland that you had a bunch of anarchists or right wingers or left wingers or whatever. You had a bunch of people who were hell bent for leather to uh, damaging the city in some way and terrorizing the citizens. And the federal government, with the best of intentions, sends in some federal police. They would arrest people. They would post what they were arrested for. They would say their names. They would, if this was being done to try to, quote, restore order to Portland, you know, there, there's a normal way that you do that. You, know, you, you identify the people who are behaving like criminals and you jail them and you charge them with crimes and you do it all out in the open. And none of that is going on, which causes me to think that the agenda here is not to restore order to Portland. In fact, if anything, it's to inflame Portland, number one. And number two, the end of the day has nothing to do with either order or Portland. I'm concerned and, and can tell, you know, walk me off this ledge here or talk me off this ledge, excuse me, you know, that we saw in Michigan where the governor of the state did not like the way that Detroit and Flint and I believe Benton Harbor 
were being run, majority black cities were being run by Democratic mayors and city councils. And so he just got rid of them and replaced them with these so-called emergency managers. You know, they privatized Flint's water, blah, 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 blah. And it got litigated and, uh, you know, they could do that. So what happens if, say, Brian Kemp decides to take out Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta? What happens if Greg Abbott decides that he's going to take out the mayors of Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas? What happens if Ron DeSantis decides that, you know, it's time to shut down Miami? And, and he, you know, so that basically all the blue cities in the country suddenly are under federal control. And then the election comes and that federal control really tightens down and it gets really, really hard to show up and vote, for example. Or am I just like way out of here in paranoid land? No, I think that's exactly what the debate should be around right now. The legal justification for this is unclear. The documents released to me from individuals within the Department of Homeland Security shows that uh, it seems they're deriving at least some authority from the president's executive order about protecting monuments. In response to that, the Department of Homeland Security created what's called, they created a task force called the Protect American Communities Task Force, or PACT for short, if that's, if that's creepy enough. And so in response to that, they're sending these federal agents to places where people are, where the authorities there are saying, we don't need this. You know, we don't need this assistance. And folks that I talk to, uh, current and former uh, DHS officials, are saying that when you have people running around in unmarked vehicles not identifying themselves, as you said, that can uh, inflame the situation because people, first of all, don't know what is going on. And in addition to that, when police are clearly marked, that can have a deterrent effect against the kinds of crime that the president alleges is the reason for this, property destruction and, and that kind of thing. So it's really unclear right. why it's happening. And documents shown to me from folks within DHS suggest that um, this is open-ended. There's no deadline. There's one, they're given talking points about how to interface with the media and answer questions. And they are told to, you know, what is the timeline for this? And also, where are these people being deployed? They basically have to indicate we don't know. Not that we don't know, but that we're not going to tell you. Because you right. can't know, because uh, they say that so, that's harm the operational security of these of these missions. Right. We also have this ICE offering the Citizens Academy course. I first read about this in Newsweek. They are training civilians in quote defensive tactics, firearms familiarization, and targeted arrests. That this is quote an extension of the community relations work ICE is already doing in the community. This is according to ICE spokesperson Nicole Alberico speaking to Newsweek. And then I've got an ICE press release in my hand here at ICE.gov saying that the St. Paul Office of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Homeland Security Investigations, HSI, graduated its first inaugural class of Citizens Academy students this fall. This was several months ago. This was, this was nine months ago. HSI's Citizens Academy is an important tool, they say. Overall, uh, St. Paul's uh, HSI workforce represents about 1% of the agency, but they've obtained twice as many indictments and convictions as the national average. Also included in the Academy program was narcotics enforcement investigation, and this group of volunteers, citizens, in Portland made 100 arrests for various drug-related offenses. I'm, again, reading this from an ICE press release. And during the final phase of the Citizens Academy, the class engaged in shoot-no-shoot -shoot scenarios in a shooting range as the students experienced split-second life-and-death decisions firsthand. Do we know if any of these civilians, first of all, are they recruiting from the Proud Boys and things like that, number one? And number two, do we know if any of these civilian groups that ICE has trained have shown up here in Portland? It's not clear because, again, we don't know beyond, you know, the instances in which Vortec and U.S. Marshals have engaged uh, what's going on. They're not being forthcoming about this. You know, as the documents that I was given show, they're told to cite operational security, the need to preserve the secrecy around these investigations or, or operations. I think that's disingenuous because at the very least, you could just give people a sense of Here's why we're doing it. Here's where we're doing it. And here's when we're doing it for how long without, I think, assuming that the point of all this is to prevent kind of property destruction that the president has invaded against, you know, but that's assuming that that's the point. I mean, this could also be something, as was described to me by DHS officials, this might be something like a photo op, because when you're arresting people and then just letting them go afterwards without booking them, that doesn't seem to have much operational significance in terms of preventing or deterring crime. Wouldn't you want to, first of all, either question them or compel no, but it has huge propaganda consequence. Right, right. Ken Klippenstein, D.C. correspondent with The Nation magazine. You can read his stuff over at The Nation. You can tweet him at Ken Klippenstein. Ken, thanks a lot for dropping by. Great talking with you. Great to be with you. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. John in Minneapolis watching Free Speech TV. Hey, John, what's up? Yeah, um, I think that the groundwork for this kind of process by a president has been laid by the Patriot Act. And the Patriot Act, as far as I know, it was, uh, you know, reauthorized. Uh, but I don't think they ever really, you know, worked out a lot of the bugs. Like, for instance, this could happen to you. If you, say, were at a conference with the FARC in Columbia, and this happened to a person here in Minneapolis, they were just representing a peace group, and they were with uh, both a FARC and Colombian people or Colombian government officials. And as a result, they were giving support to terrorist organization by even just being there. And uh, this had happened in like 2009 and 10, and they had raids throughout uh, uh, Minneapolis. They had some in Chicago. It went throughout the whole country, and it's just fallen off the radar. And I don't know what ever happened uh, with it here. Uh, most of these people are just ordinary activists, and they would go to their house. I don't think they even had a, a search warrant. They just, you know, went in, took all their stuff, took their computer, took their, uh, you know, laptops and their cell phones, and you know, it's like what like, happened in Minneapolis itself just before the RNC. Yeah, there was a, another incident where provocateurs were involved. You know, the RNC welcoming committee, one of which was a person who was paid by and contracted by the federal government to egg on. Uh, the RNC to do, I believe it was more, you know, aggressive actions like throw Molotov cocktails. And it went to court. The person was charged under the, under, I believe it was a Patriot Act. Yeah, this is very problematic. It's why a lot of us were yelling and screaming about the Patriot Act back in the, in, during the George W. Bush years, that this was setting the country up for a fascist takeover. And sure enough, it did. Melvin in Huntsville, Texas. Hey, Melvin, thanks for listening to SiriusXM, and thanks for your patience. What's up? I was listening to your show. I've been listening for quite a while, and I, I love your show. When you were talking about the federal forces with the unmarked uniforms and so on and so forth, and how bad it's getting and how closer to the election, the strategy that Trump may be having is similar to some of the Hitler tactics. Okay, I'm, I'm retired from the military. I find it hard to find that the military leaders will stand by and watch all of this madness happen. Because when I joined the military, I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. I didn't pledge to protect Trump. 
or the president. It's the Constitution that I took an oath to defend. And I, I, I would bet money that military leaders would not just stand on the sidelines and watch this chaos. They would step in and put an end to it. What's your take on it? Well, Trump has been replacing military leaders. You know, he, he General Milley, I'm guessing, is probably in trouble right now. He certainly had, he's on his, what, fourth Secretary of Defense right now? Um, yeah. who's, you know, I get it, a civilian in charge of the military. But I'm guessing, Melvin, that any resistance to Trump coming out of the military is going to mostly come from your commissioned officers. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come from those who have, um, you know, who are college graduates who probably did a little di- deeper dive into the Constitution. Um, that a lot of the enlisted men uh, and women probably never really studied the Constitution. Um, I don't, you know, I, we haven't taught civics in the United States since the 1980s when uh, Bill Bennett took that out of our federal curriculum requirements. Um, and so I'm quite concerned. I mean, I, I look at these guys on the streets in Portland, Oregon, and I would have thought that, you know, people who are federal officers, uh, in this case, it appears that most of them are from Customs and Border, but still, that's DHS, that they also took an oath to uphold the Constitution and that they would say, wait a minute, you know, police on the streets with no identification, no no way of even knowing for sure that they're police, that's wrong. That, that's not right. And yet there they are. I'm very concerned, Melvin. Again, the, the oath clearly states, protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So. Right. In this case, I, I mean, I can, I cannot see how anybody of conscience would sit on the sidelines and let it go down. I just can't yeah. see it. But maybe I'm naive. Yeah. But we'll see. Well, I, you know, I hope you're right, Melvin. You're you're the optimist here, apparently, and I'm I'm being, you know, I this this recent thing here in Portland is making me more pessimistic. But we'll see, Melvin. Thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you, and I look you forward are. to talking to you again in the future. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's up? When Putin and the Russians invaded Crimea and eastern Ukraine, they did so with troops in plain uniforms with no patches, no ID badges, no name tags, no nothing. And now we see the same right. thing in Portland. I just wonder if Trump called his master in the Kremlin to ask for advice before he started this abomination. It's entirely possible. This has been done by other governments throughout history. I just don't know. It is an eerie parallel. Sharon in Greenville, South Carolina. Hey, Sharon, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, thank you so much. I watch you every day. And, and, uh, and I want to thank your previous caller because I think he's uh, spot on on a lot of this that's going on. Um, what you have is uh, came out with a report from Jeffrey Cahill and another reporter, and the Young Turks did a whole series of a story on it yesterday at 2.30. And what this is is you have Blackwater security in that federal building. They won't tell you who they are. They can't show proof of who they are. And they have decided they're going to set up their own private Donald Trump, uh, uh, it's um, Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Eric Prince that owns Blackwater. Uh, you also have, um, um, you know, the guy with the Ron Contra. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Ollie North. Ollie North, yeah. You have all these people that have set up and they're being backed by some very wealthy billionaires to set up their own private CIA and own private intelligence, that all this intelligence will go through their private, the private government. They're setting up their own private government. And what they're doing is they're setting up strategic locations in this country and using federal buildings to do so because he knows his numbers are down. He knows he's going to lose. So they're setting up these strategic locations so when he does, he can not step down and have these guys step out there and start shooting people and say, oh, he had to get the rights in order in the street. You have to remember that um, that this mongrel dog in the White House was raised by a man that believed in um, dare to be great, you know, L. Ron Hubbard, dare to be great stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you say something enough and you say it long enough, it's a form of mind control. And that's why yeah. the people that follow him are in a cult. 
But this is dangerous. Sharon, I, I, I agree. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to check this out. It's been a long time since uh, Jeremy Scahill has been on our program, but I'll, I'll ask Sean to reach out to him right now. Uh, let's see here, Karen in Cleveland, Ohio, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Karen, what's up? I had a suggestion for the mayors of Portland and Chicago and who else it may be to kind of take the bull by the horns. When the feds show up, just go into lockdown again, as we did at the beginning of the pandemic. Let essential workers Mm -hmm. go to work. Basically, you know, entreat the people to just stay off the streets. And if everybody or a lot of people stay off the streets, then the feds have nothing to do. I would hope that after a few days of that, the feds would leave. Sadly, I don't think it'll play out that easily, Karen. I, you know, I get your point. I understand your point. Trump wants a fight. Lori Lightfoot, you know, the mayor of Chicago, apparently wants a fight. Ted Wheeler here in Portland is doing a fight in the courts. But I don't think this is going to end well. I'm very concerned about it. But your point is well taken. Your point is well taken, Karen. Thank you for the call. Simon in Chicago. Hey, Simon, what's up? Hey, hello, Tom. I'm a first-time caller, and I've been listening to the, your radio station for like three months now. And I like all the people that work on it. I mean, all the ladies and stuff like that. I was listening to one uh, to your program last week, and there was a person talking about Trump, what he's trying to do. And I figured a couple of things I want to say to you. I think what he's trying to do is build v- vigilante groups. You know, and mm-hmm. they, they will do anything or he like just like you're saying, they will go through the laws and stuff like that just to make it hard for us to vote. The only way to defeat this person is on the on the day of the election. What he's doing he's he's challenging us and he's opening door for us. You know what I mean? All these minorities mm-hmm. is how he's going to how is he running this country and how he's going to beat everybody. Correct. That's fine. Yeah. But the only way to do it yeah. is to vote. That's the only yeah. weapon that we have is for for us yeah. is to go vote on that day. That's why I think that he's planning an attack on the vote. But I agree with you, Simon. Exactly, I absolutely agree exactly. with you. He's doing it by mailing vats and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, the only way to beat him and his shenanigans, all the Trumpies and stuff like that, is just go and vote on that day. And you've got to do it any way you can. I mean, by voting... You could go by a bus, drive, walk, share a ride. I mean, on that day, on that election day, we have to stay focused for now, from now till then. And we have to stay focused yeah. on the objective. And what I'm, is I'm the absolutely objective? with you, Simon. Simon, you said it very, very well. Thank you very much for adding that to the conversation. Hartmut in uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. Hey, Hartmut, what's on your mind today? I'm so glad that I'm getting a chance to thank you for introducing me to that book, uh, The Thought They Were Free by Milton Mayer. It turns out, as soon as I heard about it from you, I immediately uh, went to my favorite bookstore, found there are plenty of copies left there for people who might be interested. It's a, a tremendous book. It's beautifully written, and it's so erudite. But for me, I'm German myself, and uh, my f- father uh, was an, an engineer, a part of the rocket team for with Von Braun. And when he wrote his memoirs, he commented on uh, something that comes up in the book, which I found so surprising when I read it there, namely that uh, the German subjects that Milton Mayer was interviewing, without a single exception, they thought of the Hitler period, uh, and actually not the part that brought them into the war, the years beforehand, from 19, say, 33 to 39 or 40, they considered that the golden age of Germany, <laughs> the golden age. And my father... Well, in 1937, Adolf Hitler was on the cover of Time magazine. He was the man of the year, and he was literally the most popular politician in the world in 1937. Yeah, well, he certainly was. My father, in his memoirs, this is 48 years after the end of World War II, my father still writes glowingly of how uh, when he started college, he thought there was no chance he would ever get to work in his field because there were no jobs. And suddenly the industrialists were coming to the university to hire them before they had even graduated. He still was talking about that. He could still, uh, in other words,
afterwards, the very thought of those pe- that period of time was not in any way laced with the with the ugly thought of what came afterwards. Uh, so right, it's absolutely true, Hartman. And and in fact, if I, I mean, if you look at at that period from nineteen basically nineteen twenty nine to nineteen thirty three, when Hitler rose to power. Um, you know, millions and millions of people. We, we had, you know, 20 percent unemployment here in the United States. So did Germany. The Great Depression hit the entire world. And Germany as an industrialized power got hit really, really badly. And of course, they were also hit badly by the Treaty of Versailles reparations that they had to pay for World War One. And that was something John Maynard Keynes accurately predicted. But the bottom yeah. line is that we had two countries, the United States and Germany, that were in the same economic crisis we chose Franklin Roosevelt, and he put the country back together, and he built the largest middle class the world had ever seen, literally. And Hitler put Germany back together, and yes, he made the trains run, he built the Autobahn, he invented the Volkswagen and, 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 and sold millions of them, brought pos- prosperity to Germany by 1937 when he was on the cover of Time magazine, but did it all in the context of building a fascist machine. Yeah, uh, you know which FDR was absolutely not doing, and yeah, the uh, frankly, I think different, it was, but really, in a sense, uh, Hitler was a Keynesian. I mean, the, his, the tremendous amount well, yeah. of money that was spent on on infrastructures got the uh, got the con- economy going again in Germany. And then uh, I thought about that uh, when you were talking about what uh, what 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 do we can we learn from the the the, uh, the Nazi experience in Germany, uh, and it occurred to me that what. One of the things that we can we we know is that that part that that terribly important part of the Nazi experience, namely that they loved the that that they had a golden age, that is not going to be uh, as anything to hold Trump uh, in in uh, good stead with the American people. There's not going to be a there is this is not going to be a golden age that we're going to remember Trump by. Uh, and yeah. uh, so I suppose if there's a uh, if there's a, a silver lining here somehow, uh, there's going to be the very opposite sentiment prevailing in the United States. Well, and this this is you know when I was reading uh, from they thought they were free uh, Hartmut, I was you know he was talking about how every all these gradual steps, these thousands of gradual steps, until finally you're like way outside anything normal. And, and that, for me, was the Bush administration, frankly. The creation of the Department of Homeland Security and even the word homeland, um, the consolidation of police powers, the massive consolidation of power within the executive branch, creating a massive spying apparatus that could be directed against American civilians. That, you know, we sleptwalked, sleepwalked through the Bush years, and that laid the foundation for the Trump years. And it's a real tragedy that more couldn't have been done during the Obama years to reverse that. But Hartmut, it's a fascinating conversation. Thank you for calling and contributing to it. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. VK in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, VK, what's up? Well, I would just like to encourage people to call all the representatives within their states as well as at the federal level to speak out with one voice against what's going on in Oregon and in solidarity with the uh, uh, elected officials in Oregon um, against uh, this invasion, this incursion by uh, Trump's uh, goons. And I'm not sure exactly how, you know, if they'd have one giant press conference or or how they do this, but I think it's really important if they all speak out together against this. And then the other thing... I just got David Sirota's TMI newsletter, and he talks about how even after these folks were first sent into Oregon, that a few days later that the House Democrats are, were advancing the appropriate. Reauthorized it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, 
And and anyway, it's a really good newsletter if anybody wants to access it. It's, it's, it says, Dem's sternly worded letters won't stop fascism. And um, right. so anyway, those are my two suggestions. And good ones, Nancy. Thank you very much for the call. I, and, and spot on. And David David does point that out this morning. And and, uh, you know, it's it's like, you know, the Lincoln Project, they're, these Republicans, they're standing up and, and taking names and kicking ass. And where are the Democrats? Yes, there's been some good some good Democratic messaging. But, you know, it seems like the, the strongest stuff is coming from report Republican voters against Trump and the Lincoln Project. Um, Don Winslow, an independent guy, a filmmaker, has has done some great stuff. I've retweeted a lot of his stuff. You can find it on my timeline as well as his. You know, we need to be calling people out about this and we need to be calling them out explicitly. And we need to be doing it quickly because this country is sliding into fascism very, very rapidly. In fact, I think that Trump thinks that that's the only way he can retain power. This is insane. It's absolutely nuts. Bill in Santa Maria, California. Hey, Bill, what's up? Yeah, I just want to say I worked for a police department as a civilian for 14 years. So I know a little bit about mm-hmm. the police. They are 85% pro-Trump, okay? And the other 15% sure. is under a tremendous pressure to go along with that attitude. So Trump is probably going to lose the election, but he's going to claim voter fraud, as we, as he said. As he said, and, they, and they've asked him recently, are you going to leave office? He says, well, we'll see. We'll see. What he yeah, means is if I out. lose, yeah. it depends on what happens with the election. Well, I think he's going to lose. And he's going to come out and say voter fraud, voter fraud. And he's probably got a lot of backup guys coming out to claim they found it, Republicans in various districts. Yeah, we found voter fraud. And then, you know, there's going to be a hell of a lot of people go right to the street. And you'll have this huge police force of uh, police departments, county uh, sheriffs, all the people that will line up behind him to put down any kind of demonstrations. So it, it is looking very scary. When I heard this stuff going down, you know, I thought, uh-oh, this is this looks like it. And you're right. Yeah. You know, this your ideas on fascism and so on. <laughs> you're right on the money, Tom. What yeah. if the deployment of federal troops to Portland right now is not just an experiment to find out if they can inflame a situation to the point where it might provide them with some talking points for an election, law and order talking points? The biggest problem, I suppose, that Trump has right now here in Portland is that the vast majority of people who are showing up and protesting are white. If he pulls this off in a city that is majority black, he's going to have a different profile. And that's the video that Fox News wants. But let's say that that's not even their main goal. What if their main goal is between now and January, when the transition is supposed to happen, January 20th, between now and January, they want to deploy, they want to have an excuse to deploy federalized officers who are loyal to Donald Trump, not loyal to the Constitution, not loyal to the United States, but loyal to Donald Trump, thus drawing heavily from the Customs and Border Patrol folks, you know, the ICE folks, because they all, you know, they're all gung-ho racists and they all love Trump and what he's all about. To deploy those people into every major city in America where there's a large Democratic electorate, and therefore a large group of Democrats who will be out in the streets protesting to put down those protests. What if this is preparation for the lockdown that could happen in January? You said it more eloquently than I did, but we're saying the same thing. Well, that was your point? That, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. This, they're preparing. They're preparing. And I think, I don't, well, I don't know how you feel, but I think he's going to lose. And he's going to claim voter fraud. He's going to have a lot of uh, Republicans in uh, offices saying, yeah, yeah, we found voter fraud in our, our district. And, you know, here's the evidence and, and nobody's got time to check it. So right. Uh, you're, yeah. you're right no, on the I, money. I, 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 what can we do about it? Well, we can raise hell. We can raise consciousness. We can get people ready. We can prepare people for it so they're not surprised by it, so that they can react appropriately to it. And, uh, you know, to the extent possible, we can put, you know, at the state level uh, in particular, put systems into place to deal with it. But it's going to be really tough in red states. Bill, thank you for the call. Mark in San Francisco. Hey, Mark, what's up? Uh, well, I think the Democrats uh, ought to tell Mr. Trump that uh, he shouldn't be worried about the protesters. He should be worried about these Republican governors whose policies are killing us, killing Americans. 
I think the yeah. Democrats need to push back on that and say, look, you better uh, look at these states. These people are dying in, in Texas. These are Republican governors that are doing this. We need to stop this diversion and put the finger where it belongs. These guys are killing yeah. us. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. Well said. Thank you. Marilyn in Southampton, New York. Hey, Marilyn, what's up? Touching on the issue in Portland, and I want to know if you can help me connect a dot here. Back in 2011, Obama signed the NDAA into law. It had a a statute containing a sweeping worldwide indefinite detention provision. I know Obama had serious reservations about the provision at the time, and the ACLU at the time said it was a, a blight on his his legacy, uh, you know, it, it, it could be used to detain people indefinitely. And I'm and I I kind of feel like this is the power that we just gave Trump to use in Portland. Mm-hmm. You know, you're right. And it, they it, haven't started. I mean, why is they haven't started to use it yet, Marilyn. But <laughs> yeah, I, you know, they're, they're arresting people. They're not detaining them indefinitely, but they are detaining them. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're referencing that that Defense Authorization Act. What we have been saying since the original Patriot Act is that when you amplify police powers in order to, quote, keep people safe, in this case from Muslim terrorists, you are amplifying police powers. I mean, you just have to understand that. And there's a huge potential for abuse associated with that. And we are now seeing that abuse in the hands of this tin pot dictator. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It does require all of us to participate. Check your voter registration. Make sure you're signed up. Make sure that you're going to get a mail-in ballot if that's what you need or what you can do in your state. Tell your friends. Make sure that they're, they're registered to vote. This is huge. This is the fate and future of our country, maybe the world. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. See you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 